up to Joshua chapter 10, and we're going to look at the whole chapter, but it's quite long, so I'll just read the first 15 verses. Uh, this is where we're going to spend most of our time uh, in the sermon. I just want to remind you that, remember, the theme of Joshua is um, God's promise. Uh, the whole book is, is centered around uh, God's promise, particularly the promised land, and uh, that's why I've called this series, Every Promise Fulfilled. And when we get to the end of Joshua, we'll see that really um, hammered into the Israelites. You know, how God um, says, look at this, see how every promise has been fulfilled. Uh, so that's what we need to be constantly reminded of, uh, as we will be tonight, uh, as we get into Joshua chapter 10. So let's read uh, verses 1 to 15 now. <clears throat> now Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard that Joshua had taken Ai and, and totally destroyed it, doing to Ai and its king as he had done to Jericho and its king, and that the people of Gibeon had made a treaty of peace with Israel and had become their allies. He and his people were very much alarmed at this because Gibeon was an important city, like one of the royal cities. It was larger than Ai, and all its men were good fighters. So Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, appealed to Hoham, king of Hebron, Piram, uh, Piram king of uh, Jarmuth, uh, Jephiah, king of Lachish, and Debir, king of Eglon. Come up and help me attack Gibeon, he said, because it has made peace with Joshua and the Israelites. Then the five kings of the Amorites, the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, uh, Lachish, and Eglon, joined forces. They moved up with all their troops and took up positions against Gibeon and attacked it. The Gibeonites then sent word to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal, Do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us. Help us because all the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us. So Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including all the best fighting men. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. After an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel, so Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely at Gibeon. Israel pursued them along the road going up to Beth Haran and cut them down all the way to Azekah and uh, Makedah. As they fled before Israel on the road, down from Beth Horon to Azekah, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them, and more of them died from the hail than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. On that day, the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel. Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and you, moon, over the valley of Ijalon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, till the nation avenged itself of its enemies. As is written in the book of Jashar, the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a human being. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Then Joshua returned with all Israel to the camp at Gilgal. This is God's word. <clears throat> Let's um, pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you uh, that we can listen to you speak to us through your word. Uh, we pray, Father, that your spirit would open our eyes again to see the wonderful things in your law. 
uh, that we would be praising you, Father, for the God that you are and that we would also grow in our salvation, that we might serve you faithfully. Uh, we pray that you would bring uh, that conviction uh, of your spirit changing our hearts so that we think after your thoughts and uh, do after you would do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was in um, primary school many years ago, uh, most afternoons included a, um, <clears throat> some activity, uh, normally a game involving two teams. And the way the teachers would get uh, all of the students into two teams, or two evenly matched teams, was to randomly pick two students out of the class and make them the team captains. And then those team captains would have to take in turns of choosing classmates to form their respective teams. Now, it's a completely humiliating experience for the uh, less athletic ones among uh, the class, and especially for that poor child left every time that nobody wanted. Anyway, that's another story. Uh, this, in the school I went to, there was this one boy who was the star athlete. He was the one that was always picked first, and no matter what the game was, the team that he was on would always win, as, as far as I could remember, would always win. Now, maybe it wasn't just because of this star athlete's contribution. Uh, maybe the mere fact of having him on the team uh, just lifted the team, you know, with such confidence. Hey, we have this star. Uh, and that's why they won, because they just played better as a result. Uh, maybe, but having this one kid on your side meant that victory was always guaranteed. And you know, it's like that with lots of things in life. Having the right person on your side uh, is often the key to winning or the key to um, success uh, or it could be the key to surviving in some cases. Um, but it's about having the right person on your side. And that, of course, is infinitely more the case if God is on your side, if God is fighting for you. Uh, if God is fighting for you, then you're actually invincible. You cannot lose. And that's actually what we see in this passage in Joshua 10. Uh, the main point of this passage, you may have noticed it at the, um, there in verse 14 where uh, it says, surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Now we know that's the main point of the passage because if we read all of chapter 10, when you get right to the end, sorry, it's not on the screen, but verse 42, it repeats this same statement that the Lord was fighting for Israel. The reason they had victory because the Lord was fighting for Israel. They won because the Lord fought for Israel. And uh, do you know that this is something that believers can count on? Even more so today, that the Lord fights for his people. We know that because Romans 8 says, if God is for us, who can be against us? And so what was true of the Israelites, as stated in this passage, is, is just as true of believers. The Lord fights for his people. So tonight I want to consider what does that actually mean, that the Lord fights for his people? And how can we be sure that he is doing that? Well, let's have a look at the passage. Uh, the reason we can be sure God is fighting for us, uh, the first thing we see here is because God keeps his promise. That's what we see in the first eight verses. God keeps his promise. See, up until now, 
what's happened in the book of Joshua. The Israelites have entered the promised land from the east side. They've taken out Jericho. Then they've taken out Ai. And so essentially they've, they've taken out a big chunk right out of the middle of the promised land. If you've ever seen it on a map, it's kind of a, a long sort of a shaped land. They've taken out the middle. And so they've now got this south section and a north section. And in this passage, <clears throat> we're told that um, Adon Adon what is it? Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, uh, he rounds up all the kings of the south. Okay, the south side, they all team up and they go and attack Gibeon. R remember Gibeon? Remember it was like two months ago. Gibeon, those Gibeonites, they deceived Israel into making a covenant. Uh, they became uh, Israel's allies and uh, the kings of the south didn't like that and so they attacked the Gibeonites. When Gibeon realised that they were in massive trouble because this huge army is attacking them, uh, they get word to Israel to come and help and because Israel have entered into this covenant with Gibeon, they have to help. And so it says in verse 7 that Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including all the best fighting men. Now the point of these first seven verses is to show us that Israel have their hands full, that this is a massive task because this is five armies joined together against Israel. This is huge. Uh, and not only that, but they have an all-night march before they even get to the battle. <laughs> Can you imagine that? It's a 35k march overnight, you know, carrying all that fighting gear, and it's, it's not just um, easy walking, that's undulating terrain, uh, 35k's carrying all this stuff. You can imagine that when you get there, you just want to sit down and do nothing. And yet, as soon as they get there, they've got to fight a battle. And so they're really on the back foot. How are they going to win against this massive army? How are they going to win? Because the Lord fought for Israel. That's how they're going to win. That's what God promised. And you can see that, that promise, uh, God's promise to Joshua, it's stated in verse 8, where it says, um, do not be afraid of them. Well, God says, do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand not one of them will be able to withstand you. Now, that, that promise there, the, the most important thing to realise in that promise is that this is not the first time God has said this to Joshua. This is what God has been saying to Joshua all the way through the book. It, it's the promise that God gave right at the start in chapter 1. No one will be able to withstand you. Okay? You, you will drive them all out. Uh, why? Because God fights for them. And so what God is doing here, he's reaffirming an old promise to Joshua for this new situation. And uh, this is where Joshua was going to get his courage. Uh, you know, five armies joined together, all night march. How would Joshua have the courage to, to do that? Uh, how, how would the people with him have the courage to go and fight this battle. Uh, you know, if he looked at the size of his army compared to this enormous army, uh, if Joshua looked at the task ahead of him, he would have melted with fear. He would have curled up in a corner, you know, in the fetal position, rocking back and forwards. 
It's too big, too overwhelming. Um, but how did God encourage him? God pointed him not to human strength, not to ease and comfort, but to his promise. His promise. Because if God promises something, it cannot fail. If God makes a promise, it will come to pass. And uh, in that way, God's promise is an unstoppable force. Do you know, um, about a month ago, I think there was a volcano in the Republic of Congo. You might have seen it on the news. And uh, there was this lava flow, uh, three storeys high, hundreds of metres wide, made its way down the mountain. 17 villages were completely engulfed. You know, houses didn't stand a chance. All that the people could do was just grab whatever belongings they could carry and run for their lives. There was nothing they could do in the face of this lava coming down the mountain. It was like an unstoppable force. Do you realise that God's promise is like that, but in a good way? <laughs> God's promise, an unstoppable force. Nothing can stand in his way. See, here's uh, Adonai Zedek. He rounds up all of these forces thinking we're going to stop the Israelites. We're going to take back what's ours. And uh, the more that they did that, the faster it brought God's promise to pass. That's how unstoppable God's promise is. The more his enemies rage against him, the quicker they fulfill the very thing God has said. And see, that's what motivates Joshua. That's what motivates the Israelites into action. Uh, this is where they draw their courage for the battle. Uh, you know, God's promise didn't make them sit back and go, oh, that's good, we'll do nothing. It actually put enthusiasm into their obedience. God called them to do this. They got the courage to obey from God's promise. Uh, it gave them strength for the task. And uh, actually, John Calvin sums up this part of um, this passage really well in his commentary. He says um, that Joshua is made confident of victory in order that he may help the Gibeonites. And then he says, For God stimulates us more powerfully to the performance of duty by promising than by ordering. Uh, maybe I'll paraphrase that. Uh, God motivates us more powerfully to obedience by promising than by ordering. Have you ever thought about that? How do you get the, the oomph? <laughs> How do you get the enthusiasm uh, to obey God when it's really hard? It's by listening to his promise. That's how you do it. Uh, the way God reassures us in any situation, no matter what you're facing in life, the way he reassures you, the way he encourages you and fills you with that courage uh, to serve him, is he takes an old promise and he brings it to bear on a new situation, just like he did with Joshua here. An old promise, Joshua had already heard it, God brings it to bear on a new situation. That's how God works in our lives today. And so, uh, are you facing something that, that terrifies you? Are you facing something that distresses you, that keeps you awake at night? Uh, are you facing something uh, that seems to be too big to do? It's overwhelming. How can I possibly do it? You know, God has put you into some situation where it feels like 
It's actually too hard. Listen to God's promise. That's where you get the, the ability to go forward without giving up. So maybe let's just apply this. Uh, maybe some of you here face a temptation in your life. Uh, one temptation that it almost feels like you're powerless in front of it. How do you get the ability to stand firm? It's by embracing God's promise. His promise to you is what? My grace is sufficient for you. Uh, maybe some of you here are overwhelmed by the spiritual battle that we're in. Have you ever noticed this? That we're in a spiritual battle and that spiritual battle seems to turn every relationship into a battle, a battleground. And then we think, that person is the problem. <laughs> but no, 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 it's a spiritual battle. There's a behind-the-scenes uh, battle going on that we easily forget and we need to remember that our battle is not against flesh and blood but against this, this spiritual battle and at times it feels a little bit overwhelming thinking well how can we ever how can we ever do anything how can we ever get along how can we restore relationships that have gone sour it feels like it's never going to work again God's promise his promise, the same one actually, my grace is sufficient for you, but what is God's promise in a spiritual battle? He gives his armour. That's how we stand firm. Or maybe some of you are overwhelmed by the trial that you're going through at the moment. What is God's promise in your trial? Okay, there are many. He is with you. He promises that he's working uh, to, to shape you through those trials or what about the changing culture we live in you know if we talk about an unstoppable force sometimes it feels like the changing culture is the unstoppable force it feels like uh, you know everything's turning around in Australia and uh, that it's, it seems so anti-christian it feels like we're helpless how are we going to survive as a church how do we survive as Christians in our workplace uh, again God's promise what is God's promise? That his kingdom will always prevail. God's kingdom always grows, uh, even in the most unlikely places from a human point of view. You know, even in the face of um, violent persecution, the kingdom grows. And Jesus says, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not overcome. Do you see? God's promise. That's where we get the courage. That's where we, we, we turn away from despair. The only way we do that is by embracing what God has said, what he promises. And uh, so I'd like you to think, is there any situation in your life that you can think of where God has nothing to say to you? Where he has nothing to say by way of promise? Of course there's not. It doesn't matter what you're going through. Find what God's promise is. Embrace that. That's where you find, uh, that's where the enthusiasm gets pumped into your obedience by God's promise. So that's the first thing we see here. God keeps his promise. Uh, we can be confident of the Lord uh, fighting for his people because of his promise. Uh, the second way we can be confident of God fighting for us is because he displays his power. That's the second thing we see in this passage, which is in verses 9 to 13. 
So verse 9, uh, we see after an all-night march uh, from Gilgal, Joshua took that army by surprise, which is good. You know, hard work, but at least he now has an advantage. Uh, they're, they're, they're now the ones um, who are freaked out. Uh, and they have God's promise, but the Israelites still have to fight. You know, they have to fight this battle. Uh, but the thing that verse 9 to 13 show us is that they're not fighting alone. Okay? God doesn't send them there and go, you go and do that and tell me how it goes when you're done. Um, God is with them and he, he fights for them and he displays his power in these verses. And he does that in three ways. So first of all, in verse 10. Uh, verse 10, he throws the entire, those, those five, five armies into confusion. And that causes them to run away. Uh, then in verse 11, it says, As they fled before Israel, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them, and more of them died from the hail than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. So here we have the invention of laser-guided missiles. Um, because did you notice that, well, it doesn't say, but none of the Israelites died from these hailstones. They must have been big hailstones to kill um, more people were killed from hail than by swords. So they're coming down like missiles, laser-guided missiles, and this is to underline who is winning this battle, who is actually fighting. Why are the Israelites winning? It's because the Lord fought for Israel. Uh, the third way God displays his power here is uh, in verses 12 to 13, where um, Joshua, he prays that prayer, a very bold prayer, and verse 13 says that the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself of its enemies, as is written in the book of Jashar. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. Now, uh, do you know when you're doing jobs around the house and you've got lots of things to do and you want to get them done and um, you wish the day would just go a little bit longer? <laughs> well, the Israelites got that. <laughs> Uh, they needed to finish this battle off in a day and so they got some extra sunlight to do that very handy uh, and but the point here <laughs> if the hailstones hadn't made it pretty clear who was fighting why they were winning then the sun stopping that seals the deal this is god god is doing this god's power uh, the sun stands still i mean that is just so incredible to think about the sun standing still for a whole day. We're not told how God did that, but it's, it's truly amazing. Uh, what did that mean for the rest of the world? Well, that's where people um, struggle. <laughs> it's interesting in the um, commentaries, uh, some of the commentaries spend nearly the whole chapter just analysing all of the different views and objections to um, what the text plainly says here. Uh, the, the passage says, the sun stood still for about a whole day. Um, but, you know, people, they uh, get really troubled by that, thinking, well, hang on, if the Earth's turning on a, uh, you know, rotating, and all of a sudden it stops, what happens to gravity? You know, what happens to uh, tides? And um, what about those poor chooks on the other side of the world? It'll be dark for so long. Uh, 
do you see, it creates so many problems. So how, can, how can God do this? How can the sun stand still for a whole day? And, uh, you know, so there's all this worry about how catastrophic that would be for the laws of nature. Uh, but at the end of the day, it seems that the objections to what the text says is that they're missing the Bible's point of view. Okay, who is in control? And the laws of nature, let's just think about the laws of nature for a moment. Are laws of nature independent? Do they work all on their own without anyone keeping them going? Of course not. Uh, Hebrews 1 verse 3, it says about Jesus that he sustains all things by the power of his word. Uh, in Colossians 1 verse 16 to 17, it says, All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So that's saying that the laws of nature are not independent. They're kept going and sustained by the power of the word of Jesus. And therefore, if that's true, uh, is it really that hard to believe that the one who created everything and the one who holds it all together by his power, is it too hard to believe that he has the ability to stop everything and yet still uphold it all, keep it all working uh, so that the tide stays where it's meant to be for that time and, um, and all of those things? Is it, is it too hard to believe that? We're talking about God here. And so... You know, remember the catechism question, can God do all things? Yes, God can do all that is pleasing to him. He can do it all. He's powerful. What we're supposed to feel when we read this passage is that sense of awe, that wow, look what God does. Look at his power. He can stop the sun. And yet the whole world is still going. It's incredible. So we're to be awestruck and to think, boy, nothing's too hard for him. And if nothing's too hard for him, if he can do that, then we can trust him. We can be confident that when he promises something, that that will come to pass. Because he has all the power, all the power, he can stop the sun. And so when we think about, well, uh, we're on his side and he's fighting for us, then if we face some obstacle in life, it's not the end of the world. God's still in control. He will give you what you need in that. And that's where the Israelites found their courage uh, to go on. And so I hope you feel the weight of that, the stopping of the sun. We're, we're just to be awestruck by God's power and think, hey, we're, we're right. We're, if we're with God, we're fine. So that's the, uh, so the Lord fights for us. Uh, he keeps his promise. He displays his power. The third reason we can be confident as we serve uh, this powerful God is that he listens to prayer. And that's in verse 14. Uh, so verse 14, notice it says, There has never been a day like it before or since. Never a day like it before or since. A day when the Lord listened to a human being. Do you find that a strange statement in light of what had just happened? <laughs> Never been a day like it before or since. 
A day when what? The sun stopped? No, no, no. A day when God listened to a human being. It's quite a, a, a shock. Uh, you would think the sun, no, no, God listened to a human being. And uh, I think it's helping us realize just how incredible it is that this God who can stop the sun and keep the whole world going, who has that much power, listens to a human being. Isn't that incredible? The God of the universe listens to these little tiny specks on planet Earth. He listens to a human being. This is crazy. But he does. He does listen. When, when we approach the Father through the Son, we have the absolute assurance that he hears us. And we should never tire of hearing that, that God listens to us when we pray. Remember in Luke chapter 11, when Jesus gave the Lord's Prayer to his disciples, he then told a story about a friend who at midnight went next door and did the most outrageous thing you could imagine. He banged on the door and said, give me some bread until that friend got up. And Jesus says, that's the kind of boldness we can go to the Father, you know, the God of the universe with our needs. And he listens. He listens. And so when we come to God through Jesus, we have this absolute confidence that God listens to us. Uh, and, and, and when we remember the God that he is, what an incredible fact that is. Okay, so God fights for us. We have that, his promise of victory. We have um, this picture in this passage of, you know, surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. All the enemies have no chance because God is fighting for them. And the question that remains then for us is how has God done that for us? How has God fought for us? How, how does his promise come to bear for us? How has he displayed his power for us? And the answer, of course, is in the cross and resurrection of Jesus. That's where God has fulfilled his promise. That's where God has displayed his power, the cross. And when we think about our enemies, because here we're thinking tonight of the Lord fighting for us, well, who are the enemies that God is fighting? Who are the enemies that we're supposed to be, you know, powerless in front of? It's not the ones with the swords and spears. It's not the ones with megaphones and you know, spraying graffiti. Remember that on our church building many years ago? <laughs> That's not the enemy. <laughs> uh, our enemies are not those who, who write books against Christianity or websites or blogs. They're not the real enemy. The real enemies are Satan, sin, and the death that results from sin because they're the only things that will actually destroy you forever. And God has fought for us. Okay? God fights for us. God has defeated our greatest enemies. And he's done that by displaying his power, not in the stopping of the sun, but by sending his son to the cross to die in our place. That's where he destroyed sin, the power of sin, broken for all who believe. That's where he... He disarmed the evil one. It says that in Colossians, that, that Christ, when he died on the cross, disarmed Satan. He
He took away the, the weapon that Satan has to accuse. And so now all that Satan's accusations are hollow. He can't condemn you. And Christ has risen for us, risen for our justification. He's risen as the pattern that we will also have. And so God has displayed his power. God has fought for us and won that victory, the ultimate victory over all our enemies. And that means that victory is guaranteed. Uh, if, if you've got a Bible, have a look down at verse 24. Because after this battle is all wrapped up, um, those five kings that um, Adoni, Zedek rounded up initially, all those five kings, they went off and hid in a cave. And so after the battle was over, Joshua and his men, they brought out these kings. And uh, Joshua said to his army commanders, put your foot on their necks, <laughs> which they did. <laughs> And uh, the, the whole point of that, it was a symbolic act. It was to symbolically say, this is how, this is what happens to the enemies of God. You know, their foot is on their neck. And that there is a, it's a, a pretty full-on picture of, um, that's ultimately fulfilled by the Lord Jesus. When he puts his foot on the ultimate enemies, and we see this in 1 Corinthians 15. Do you know this is the passage that, we, uh, that Bill preached on this morning? And about Jesus, it says, For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And so right now, because of the cross, Jesus has his foot on all of our enemies, on their neck. And that's the guarantee that they will all be destroyed forever. And that assures us that he really is for us. Now we started by being reminded of Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? You know, if Christ has conquered our ultimate enemies, then we're safe forever. See, having the right person on your side is, really is the key to victory. It was in the schoolyard, but how much more so with the Lord Jesus on our side. And so let God's promise and let his power, let that put enthusiasm into your obedience. Serve the Lord with gladness. Serve the Lord with courage because he fights for his people. Surely the Lord fights for his people. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we praise you that you are the mighty warrior. You are the king who leads your people into victory. And we thank you that we see that victory most fully expressed in the, the victory of your son over sin and over death and Satan. And we thank you, Lord, that because he has, has sealed that victory, that we have that full assurance that not even death itself can overcome us. We thank you that uh, your word, it says that the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And that's what Jesus has done. Lord, we praise you that we, we truly are free. And we thank you that we're set free to serve you, to be uh, in your army. And Lord, we pray that we would be faithful 
in every battle that we face, that we would fight the good fight that you've called us to. We pray, Lord, that in the temptations that we face, that we would embrace this power that we have in Christ to be able to say no and to walk faithfully before you. We praise you, Lord, that in our trials we have this assurance of the ultimate victory, that the trials can't overcome us. But we thank you, Lord, that you turn every trial into something that works for our good, to shape us more into the likeness of your Son. We thank you also, Father, that in the, the spiritual battle that we're in, that you've given us the armour that we need to be able to stand firm, to be able to uh, not be overtaken by that and, and, and sucked into all of the, the ways that that uh, brings disorder into relationships. We thank you, Father, that in Christ we have uh, your power available, uh, that we can stand firm, that we can serve you faithfully. So, Lord, we pray that you would put enthusiasm into our obedience as we rest on your promises. May they be the, the, the music that plays over and over in our minds of what you have said. Uh, we pray also, Father, that you would continue to amaze us with your power, that we would reflect on it every day, that we would be filled with the courage to serve you and to, be, uh, to stand for you, uh, even in this changing culture. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name.